Every time my family is together, we discuss some half-baked idea to start a business. Let's open a winery. Let's start a blog. Let's start a travel business. You get the idea. And inevitably, roles in our new venture are doled out. One of us is always the CEO and president. One of us, the social media director. One of us, the operations manager. And without fail, everyone looks at me and says, you can be the accountant. <laughs> Not sure what kind of backhanded compliment that is, but each person should do what they do best, right? So in 2013, when our church needed a new treasurer, I jumped at the chance to give back to my community, doing what I guess I do best, accounting. I tend to see the world as numbers, because numbers make sense. Two plus two always equals four. There's no emotion involved, no ambiguity, no other way to see this. Two plus two equals four. So through that lens, here's how I've seen our church for the past five years. $400,000 in pledges, $70,000 in general donations, $65,000 in service auctions, $420,000 in staff expenses, $50,000 in committee spending, $77,000 in building expenses, and so on. Everywhere you look, there's a number attached in some way. Through three board presidents, three ministers, 88 plus members, countless friends and visitors, numbers are all around us. In good years, the church is breaking even, or maybe a little is left over. In bad years, well, in bad years, the church is spending more money than it brings in, and that's unsustainable. In that first year as treasurer, due to lower than expected giving and committed expenses, the church overspent by $26,000. And when staff costs are 75 to 80% of our total budget, there's very little that can be cut mid-year without significant impacts to our church and individuals' lives. We had seriously overstretched, and our financial outlook was not good. This was my first year on the board as well, and that experience led me to begin to view the church more as a business than as my spiritual home. Money in had to be equal to or greater than money out, or we were in trouble. The church is a business, and like any other business, you either profit, or in our case, break even, and survive, or you declare bankruptcy and fold. Every decision in those early years as treasurer revolved around this principle in my mind. Some say that accounting departments are where dreams go to die. <laughs> that your business accountant, chief financial officer, or controller is the one that is saying no to your idea based on this simple equation. Do we profit on this new endeavor? Do we have a high rate of return? Or do we gain new business? With this business mindset, had I become the accounting department of our church? Don't get me wrong. I said yes plenty of times. We've done many things over the past five years, including new HVAC, two new doors, repairs to our septic system, roof work, and new gutters, expanded our staff from limited part-time positions to half-time positions, and so much more. But it was always with an eye to how we will fund these items and more in the future that kept me hesitant day to day. Two years ago, I was at a conference for work. Now, before you start to feel bad for me, this particular conference was in Las Vegas and was the International Spa Professionals Association Conference. <laughs> a few days with other spa professionals in development series, general sessions, and of course, the show floor, where if you worked at it, you could walk away with thousands of dollars in free merchandise and swag. But it took a lot of work. 
Each year, there is a theme for the conference. Past themes have included Thrive, Ignite the Future, Inspire. This year's particular theme was Innovate, Dream, Discover, Do. We heard an impassioned speech during a general session from Bernie Brown, who's a research professor at the University of Houston, a renowned author, and has spent her life studying emotions, shame, courage, and empathy. She challenged us to be innovative in our work, life, and our passions. This drove me to reflect. How can a church be innovative? And what was holding us back from innovation, from dreaming, discovering, and doing? As I thought and read about this, I realized that in part, it was our scarcity mindset that kept us from being innovative. We don't have enough money, volunteers, time, resources, you name it, and we probably don't have enough. Each of you could probably name something that we don't have enough of, and we'd have 20 different answers. Some consider this mindset to be our default. We're wired to think that we don't have enough. According to author Lynn Twist in her book, The Soul of Money, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Because of this, it's only natural that we carry this with us throughout the day and in every aspect of our lives. How many meetings have you been in with this church or in your personal life where instinctively someone in the group has said, yes, but we don't have enough? How then do we get past this? How do we start from a new place? Bernay Brown says that the counter approach to living in scarcity is not about abundance. In fact, I think abundance and scarcity are two sides of the same coin. The opposite of never enough is an abundance or more than you could imagine. The opposite of scarcity is enough. When we start from a place of enough, instead of not enough, I think we can begin to grow and be innovative in our lives and in this church. This changes the perspective as we approach our common goals. In my many years as treasurer, I've found that we can be more productive when we look at the church through this particular lens. There's nothing wrong with us, and what we're doing isn't wrong. I think this is more of enough approach to church life. It's a way to value the work, time, and dedication of those that have come before us, and to say, what you've done isn't wrong, and it doesn't need to be fixed. If we're approaching this community from a sense of enough, rather than scarcity, we begin to move towards innovation. Something, though, continues to hold us back. From Peter Sheehan, the secret killer of innovation is shame. You can't measure it, but it's there. Every time someone holds back on a new idea, fails to give their manager much needed feedback, and is afraid to speak up in front of a client, you can be sure shame played a part. That deep fear we all have of being wrong, of being belittled, and of feeling less than is what stops us from taking the very risks required to move our company forward. In a church context, this makes perfect sense. We come to church for a variety of reasons, but it's a place where we're vulnerable and open ourselves up to each other and the world. 
So imagine if you're in a position of responsibility, board member, committee chair, committee member, volunteer, etc., and you have a subconscious or conscious fear of being wrong, belittled, or feeling less than. Shame has played a part in that internal decision for you. For us to be truly innovative, we need to consider how we are in community with one another and how we create a space to allow each of us to contribute in our own way. As Theodore Roosevelt states in our reading, it's the man or woman in the arena that counts, not the critic. For us to continue to move forward together, we need to have a culture that says it's better to try and fail than not to try at all. Your efforts are appreciated nonetheless, and you are well supported by this community. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly says, connection, along with love and belonging, which are two expressions of connection, is why we're here, and it is what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we've not lived up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished, makes us unworthy of connection. Church is about connection to one another and the larger world. As we think about our community and culture, these 10 questions from Bernays Brook book can be beneficial as we continue to understand how to be in community. As I read through these questions, consider how you might answer them for this community or any other community that you may be a part of. What behaviors are rewarded, which are punished? Where and how are people actually spending their resources, time, money, and attention? What rules and expectations are followed, enforced, and ignored? Do people feel safe and supported talking about how they feel and asking for what they need? What are the sacred cows? Who's most likely to tip them? Who stands the cow back up? What stories are legend, and what values do they convey? What happens when someone fails, disappoints, or makes a mistake? How is vulnerability, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure perceived? How prevalent are shame and blame, and how are they showing up? What's the collective tolerance for discomfort? Is the discomfort of learning, trying new things, and giving and receiving feedback normalized? Or is there a high premium on comfort? I think these questions can guide us towards a better community together. And when we're in community together, we can be more open to innovation. These questions can help us break down the barriers that hold us back from being connected to one another by allowing us to more fully understand each other and the culture we are creating together. As a financially minded individual, one line from Spirit of Life speaks to me regularly. Roots hold me close, wings set me free. This dynamic, this balance, I think provides a stable foundation for innovation. It reminds me of the Disney brothers, Walt and his brother Roy. Walt was the visionary of the Disney company, the dreamer. No idea was too large. He continued to dream big from cartoon shorts to full-length animated pictures from small amusement parks to the idea of a large, interconnected city of the future. Walt was the wings that set the company free. His brother Roy was the financial genius of the company. Time and time again, Roy found a way for Walt's vision to come true. 
Roy was not the accounting department where dreams went to die. Instead, Roy ensured the Disney company's financial success. Roy was the roots that held the company close. I'm sure Roy did occasionally say no to Walt, but the culture that they had created and their understanding of each other allowed the no to be a holy one, one that was respected, and I'm sure they worked together to find another way. Neither took their toys and went home. The balance they provided each other turned the Disney company into a worldwide business it is today. So after five years as treasurer, I've learned these points. We are enough, and nothing is wrong with us. Are there things we could be doing differently? Of course. But when we approach our community from a place of enough, it removes the urgency to fix things immediately and allows us to consider the efforts other have, others have put in before us. It allows us to consider the how we do things, which ultimately is more important than the outcome. The how allows us to be sure we have a process and procedure in place that is inclusive and respectful. It takes a balanced approach for us to move forward. We should be mindful of our roots and our wings and how they can counterbalance each other. Every organization has their own Roy and Walt Disney, a dreamer and a rational thinker, and each organization needs both to be successful. And both need to work together to amplify the other. One of my favorite songs by Jason Mraz has these lyrics. Our differences, they do a lot to teach us how to use the tools and gifts we got. We've got a lot at stake, and in the end, you're still my friend. At least we did intend for us to work. We didn't break. We didn't burn. We had to learn how to bend without the world caving in. Encourage a culture that allows us to dare greatly. This comes with appreciation, support of failure, and forgiveness. When we have a culture that allows us to be vulnerable, that is not shame-driven, we're more willing to take risks and put ourselves into new and exciting environments. When we have a culture that is supportive, it allows us to be innovative. Yes, our church requires us to be mindful of the numbers around us. Without a knowledge and understanding of these numbers, revenue, expenses, net operating income, we would likely not last long. But these numbers should not be limiting of our dreams and mission. We should dare greatly and love deeply, mindful of our limitations, but not allowing them to hold us back. It takes a balance of dreamers and realists, and with great respect for one another, we can find a way to truly be the sum of our parts. Blessed be, and on that. Please stand as you're willing and able and join in singing We Laugh, We Cry, number 354 in your great hymn.